Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. We've just had some sad news uh, that a friend of our podcasts, because he was in here uh, on one very special occasion, Gay Byrne, has died. He was also a friend, a hero and a mentor of mine. I've known him for many years and uh, I've just always, always admired him since I was a teenager. So I'm very sad today. Um, and I was thinking, would I put out the podcast tomorrow instead? Because I didn't even want to read out this introduction. But I know Gay would have said the show must go on because he was such a professional. So I'm putting out this episode anyway. But I just wanted to say about Gay Byrne on the women's podcast that he was a real champion of women. Most of the people who worked on his shows were women uh, behind the scenes, but also the amount of women he had on The Late Late Show and on his radio show where he gave voice to those things that we needed to speak about, those things, whether they were abortion or contraception or sexuality. Gay Byrne was facilitating that conversation over decades in this country and we owe him an awful lot. Uh, I'm so glad he did come in to talk to me. It took ages to persuade him, but he eventually did come into my podcast. And because he's gone now, I just wanted to play this little clip um, as a tribute. I love you, Gay. Do you think about death? Oh, yes, and I'm a damn sight closer to it than you are or anybody in this room. I certainly do think of death regularly. I'm not morose about it, but I know that I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm on the run in towards it rather than the run out. And and that's too bad, but there you are. And when you think about it, what are you thinking? Of I you? think about it like everybody else thinks about it. Anybody who thinks that they're going to be remembered by... Uh, you, you, are, you will be remembered by your spouse, if that is the situation which presents itself. You'll be remembered by your children. You will probably... There are, the, the grandchildren now are old enough to have a memory, so they will probably remember me for a, a, for a short time. Generally speaking, after a fortnight, you're forgotten. I'll give it two weeks. <laughs> I think you'll be remembered a bit longer than well, that. Well, nobody is entitled to be remembered for a bit longer. You, 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 your time has come. That's it. Goodbye. Thank you. Next. I think we're going to be talking about Gayburn for a lot longer than two weeks, and rightly so. Um, he was, and I don't use this word lightly, he was an absolute legend. But like Gay would say, the show must go on, and um, it is with great pleasure that I tell you who our guest this episode is. I'm Margaret Atwood, and you're listening to The Women's Podcast. You all know her work very well. She's a Canadian author. She's the author of The Handmaid's Tale and the Booker Prize winning Testaments. She has started a global conversation about women. And while she says she can't predict the future, she always reminds us of that old adage, history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes, is what she says. Um, she described The Handmaid's Tale as an anti-prediction, a sort of template for what not to do. 
And uh, the sequel, The Testaments, also projects the past into the future. They're incredible books. She's written many, many other amazing books too. We were absolutely delighted to have her in. She recently just shared the Booker Prize with Bernadine Evaristo. And she was in Ireland for a couple of different um, events, including one where she spoke to Alva Smith, uh, which was by all accounts incredible. Well, Cathy Sheridan is speaking to her here in this episode. It was a really fascinating conversation. She talks about Trump. She talks about feminism. She talks about the climate crisis. She talks about misogyny. And she is just someone that you just want to sit and listen to and you could listen to for a long time. We're very grateful to her. Here's Margaret Atwood talking to Cathy Sheridan. All right, Margaret. Do people like me all look the same at this point in the book tour? Absolutely not. They do not look the same because some of them have bright orange glasses like yours, which we've just been discussing. Just for our listeners, I want you to know Margaret Atwood is going to try and find my glasses. So this interview has started off extremely well. But you've been on this publicity tour for what seems like months and you've just finished another major interview just as we're sitting here. How is it? I mean, are you exhausted? Not my first rodeo, Kathy. No. <laughs> but this is a massive one. It's fairly massive, but it's been worse. So at the beginning of book tours, which were invented by Canada, because Canada is really big, uh, you had to do a city a day with quite long flights in between, and then you had to get off the plane and do you know six or seven interviews, and then um, usually a bookstore event or a university event, and then you had to uh, do it all over again the next day. And by the time you got to Victoria, which is at the extreme western end of Canada, you were walking in your sleep. And the people there were so happy one time when we started there and went the other way because you were actually awake. <laughs> so this your ears were still standing is, up. This is quite leisurely and, and pleasurable. Well, I actually saw a quote from an interview you gave, which I have to say amused me because we're roughly similar generations and I'm very aware of the past time You're way and everything. younger than me, Cathy. I'm actually not that much younger you than are, you. You are, I can tell. Um, but this, in this, you, you are quite funny because somebody was pressing you as to whether you're, you were going to start your next novel and you said you sounded a bit exhausted and you said, there's not a lot of time left. And that's, that's why they, and that's why they're going so wild over the promotion of this book. I know what they're thinking. They're thinking... What if she dies? Ooh, we better do it now. <laughs> Go all out, last chance. I say that and they sort of blush and shuffle their feet. They can't deny they're thinking it. It's true. <laughs> so instead of, oh, no, 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 no. However, when I say to, to young people about the environment, this is going to be your problem. Uh, but it won't be mine because I'll be dead. They say, no, you won't. Yes, I will. No, you won't. Yes, I will. Because <laughs> it's just true. Well, you just won the Booker Prize. Mm. Uh, and congratulations. I, I shared it with Bernardine Evaristo. You did. And mm. that was a most delightful. Uh, um, I, I felt there was a, a, a lovely generosity of spirit about all those interviews that I saw afterwards. At the same time, Margaret Atwood, I was thinking that woman with that clarity of mind possibly had a thought. They had one job and the rules were pick one winner. Well, having been on a jury myself in which we did that... <laughs> Had all kinds of sympathy for them. Uh, so so you, you can kind of imagine the dilemma. Um, I could certainly imagine it because I'd done a similar thing myself. Did you? I did. Did your jury pick two winners? It did. Oh, did it? Yes. 
All right. Uh, but on that occasion, the the guy sponsoring it, who was Jack Rabinovich, and it was the Giller Prize, uh, he gave the full amount to each. Now, that was actually the correct thing um, to do. Th- then he changed the rules. <laughs> said, you must never, ever do this again, because there, there at that time there wasn't a rule saying, um, because I'd never thought of it. Anyway, the, it's not our job here to try to second-guess the motivations of anybody. Um, no. That is a question for them. Mm-hmm. We'll leave it there in that case. Maybe they thought I would put a Wiccan hex on them if they didn't do it. Do you think it could have been fear? Kathy? Might you have? I think you might be capable. You're talking about palmistry now and astrology and yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, that's now. not witchcraft. That's just Renaissance science. <laughs> Is it actual science? Oh, no, it isn't, but it's what they thought was. Right. Yeah, so okay. years from now, somebody's going to look back on us and say, they thought that was science. <laughs> <laughs> but, Margaret, people do think you have a bit of a sorceress in you. Oh, I know, dear. <laughs> It's because I can channel the witchy voice just like this. But also because um, some people think you can foretell events to but come. But it's not true because yes. there is not one the future. If I could really foretell events, I would have cornered the stock market long, long ago and I would be a super billionaire. Uh, but maybe, are, are, I, maybe I could have done that. I just didn't turn my attentions in that direction. It's too late now, dear. <laughs> Well, actually, what you did was far more clever and, and more in touch with, 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 you, with you real think life. You did that on purpose, don't well, you? <laughs> I do. I think you could well, have done I that. I did not arrange. But you made a choice here, Kathy, I suspect. Kathy, Kathy, be reasonable. <laughs> I did not arrange the election of Donald Trump. I did not do that. It wasn't me. What you did was, though, you saw it coming. I didn't. I did not see it coming in quite that form. I saw the trends. Um, so I saw what people are saying in the 80s, that I saw what they said they would like to do should they have the power, and I saw them beavering away at getting the power, and then I saw them uh, arriving at that goal. So I didn't, quotes see it coming. I was a bit seeing it coming the night before the election when I saw the uh, the last pitches of each of the candidates because yeah. Donald Trump has a very practiced television manner. And Hillary Clinton did not. But she did win the popular vote. Let us not forget that. No. And the only reason that he won was that six million Democrats sat on their hands because they were too pure of heart to vote for either candidate and they were and who they really wanted was Bernie Sanders. So let that be a lesson to you. You're never gonna get perfect. Vote for the least worst. That's what I do. I identify the worst, strike them off the list, and then I go up rather than down. Margaret, one of your one of one of your great qualities, in my view, is you do recognize the very nuanced nature of of human beings. Well, anybody who doesn't is an idiot. Well, there, there are a good few of them around. <laughs> there, there are. We've become more. We've become more polarized. I mean, that's Only, such a cliche. Yeah, now, in social have. media, it's true, and yes. and of course that affects real life. Yeah, it's it's not the real world, but what goes on in that not the real world does affect the real world. Uh, so everyone has um, a shadow side, and uh, it's very easy to channel those on social media because you're not looking the person in the eye. 
that you were calling a great big barrel of weasel intestines. Yes. Um, if you were sitting across the quite table polite, actually. from them, <laughs> what did you say? I said that was quite polite. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, to- I toned it down. Um, yes. So if you're sitting across the table with them, it might be a somewhat different mm. matter. Or on the other hand, you might end up punching them in the head. Mark, when you're reading books, people, a lot of people assume that you read it with, with a feminist filter. I suspect not, because you get so cross when people try to get you to interpret certain things no, in your no, own I, novel. I just want them to, because I'm picky about um, specifics, I want them to tell me what kind of feminist they're talking about, because there are 75 different kinds at least, and some of them are at war with the others. So you, you don't actually want to sign up to something that, that is the opposite of what you, you believe. So I'm not the kind of feminist who thinks that all male children should be killed at birth except for 10% kept for breeding purposes. I'm not that kind. <laughs> so let's, you know, if they're willing to define it, uh, and I am the kind that's interested in structural change, which is why I support equalitynow.org, uh, which works on changing laws applying to girls and women, as Ireland has just recently done. So changing those, the, 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 infrastructure, the structure of what is permissible and not, not permissible may not change people's minds immediately, but over time it, it will, and that's why I'm, I will support that kind. Um, so I'm, let us say that instead of a feminist filter, I read it through a fairness filter, mm-hmm. uh, which can be the same thing and on the, otherwise cannot, on the other hand may not be. Um, so is it, is it true, first of all, let me give you an example, is it true that all women are fluff brains and therefore should not be allowed to vote? No, it is not true that they are all fluff brains. It's demonstrably not true. Therefore, is it fair that they should not be allowed to vote? No, it is not fair. Like that. You're giving me a look over the top of your orange glasses. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 you're saying is you're you're all about the rights of women well, and well, fairness. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm about equal rights and fairness. But Margaret, if, does that assume we're, does, yes? And does that assume though that we're all starting from the same from the same starting block? If you no, like, no, we we are not all starting from the same. Obviously not. It's not true that we are not all starting from the same starting block mm. um, around the world. Some. Quite a few people, let alone women, can't read or write. That is not the same starting block. Some people are very poor. That is not the same starting block. Um, So your point being? Yeah, my point being in terms of feminism, where, uh, where where people say the laws are all there. You know, They're not. At least in, in Ireland, we've made enormous progress. Yes, you've made enormous progress. But where do, where do we have to go? I mean, for example, Margaret, one of the things that that um, you did last year, which I was very pleased about, because you actually you opened up an area that had become very very fractious within the Me Too movement. It was it was centered on on Steve the, the Steve Galloway case, the yeah. uh, Canadian well, that academic. That is now a lawsuit because he is suing twenty to twenty five people for defamation. So we can't actually discuss it. Because right. judges don't like it when people try to um, influence 
legal decisions Fair through enough. prejudging them. Uh, I, I'll just tell our listeners that it, 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 that bit of it culminated in your writing a column called Am I a Bad Feminist? Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting. So we can, can we talk about bad feminists in the world? Um, well, as in, I say, in, in there's the so many five different kinds of yeah. them and who is bad is going to depend on, on which kind is looking at which other kind. Yeah. So, for instance, one kind uh, claims that trans uh, women should not be women. Um, and there's a big fight going on about that. So these are these are ongoing, uh, politely styled conversations, um, and it's going to be a while sorting them out. And is that what's happening in your view? Because I, I get kind of worried about splits in movements. There have been split. Okay, Wh- women are not homogenous uh, block of cream cheese that's all the same wherever you slice it. They're they're people. And why wouldn't people who are women have different points of view just as people who are men have? Why, why should we be surprised? So they may have some um, interests in common. They may see those interests differently. It was a woman, Phyllis Schlafly, who prevented the Equal Rights Amendment from being adopted in the United States. Equal rights for women. She felt it was not in the interests of women to have an equal to have equal rights. Uh, so she was going around saying, "You'll have to pee standing up into urinals." They seem to be very fixated on bathrooms in that country. Have we? It, 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 are things getting worse, Margaret? In the sense of, I mean, are you worried about the way uh, the United States is going? Or do well, you think, are people beginning to wise up? Uh, yeah, but they've, they've been, a lot of them have been wised up from the get-go. It's, um, so why was there that huge women's march? Um, so there, there, is, there are a number of people in that country, lots of people who are dedicated to the idea of, of an open democracy, and that's what they are fighting to preserve. There's a very good book by Madeleine Albright called Fascism, A Warning, which lays it all out, right to left. Um, and, um, and these are the signs. And among the signs are attacks on a free press, attempt to make the judiciary the, uh, a branch of the executive, and rollbacks of women's rights, because they all do it. Um, so backwards or forwards, let us just say that we are in a, in a period of considerable um, upheaval and movement. And uh, when there is uh, fear and instability, uh, totalitarianisms have a much better chance of getting in because they promise of, uh, they promise to fix everything, uh, which they don't. So you might like to read a book called um, The House of Government. It's quite long, but it's very interesting. It's, it's about a, an apartment building that was built by the Bolsheviks after they won. So it is a, an Armageddon followed by New Jerusalem kind of story which people are fed. So you're going to get the New Jerusalem, but first you have to kill a lot of people. Yeah. So they'd done the requisite killing of people. They'd waded through blood. They had, they had won, and they built the House of Government, a new-style apartment building on a part of Moscow known as the Swamp. In order to build it, they had to do something called draining the swamp. <laughs> and uh, then they went and lived in it. <laughs> and they lived in it accumulating pianos and doilies and other symptoms of bourgeoisie for a happy um, 11 or 12 years. And then Stalin started the purges. 
and they got purged because they still believed in uh, the New Jerusalem and why hadn't it appeared, and, and Stalin was going counter to it, so off their heads needed to go. So it was the, it's the stories of them before the revolution, during the revolution, while they were living in the House of Government, when they got purged, lots of letters and things. And the purges were then called draining the swamp. So getting rid of the bad people whose yes. fault it must be yes. that the yes. New Jerusalem had not arrived even though the requisite uh, people had been killed. I think we recognize that story. I think we kind of do, don't on, we? On both sides of, 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 yeah. of, of this little island. Yeah, uh, he has a very good little, about 20 pages on moral panics and how during a moral panic uh, to be accused is to be guilty. Yeah, the symptoms of moral panics when they arise, um, there was a, to commemorate uh, witchcraft executions, there was a piece in The Guardian on Halloween about all the people in Scotland, I think there were 2,500 of them, uh, who had been killed as witches, with lots more being accused, tortured, etc. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, you know, when everybody's worried about this awful thing that might be happening, um, you're, anybody can be a target. There is a wonderful apology. It's kind of a model apology. Um, after the Salem things, a couple of when they when the light bulb popped on and they realized that maybe they'd made a mistake <laughs> and hanged nineteen people who were innocent, there was silence for about five years during which the Puritans, assiduous journal people, keepers, removed the pages of their journals having to do with that time. <laughs> they took them out. Uh, but then there were. 14 people who apologized, one judge, one accuser, and 12 people who had been members of the jury. If you go online, you can find their model apology, in which they said um, they had been inexperienced in these matters, and, the fact, and that led them to make um, decisions that they now deeply regretted, and that they considered they'd been under a strong and general delusion. Uh, and that the, the the general opinion was the devil indeed had been at work, but not in the way people had thought. <laughs> so they were admitting that 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 they had come under some terrible influence. Yes, a strong and general delusion. I think that that's a great phrase yes. which covers a lot of these moral panics. There's still a lot of people in jail in the United States uh, having been accused of, of satanic um, practices uh, involving children. They're still in jail. Yes, yes. Lots of them. And that is because there is an unquestioning belief. There is a moral in, panic, yeah. Yes. And, 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 Margaret, going back to the Me Too movement, has that concerned you? That, okay, that there's two, actually there's three books that you should read if you're interested in this. One is called um, She Said, and it's by the two journalists who worked on the Weinstein case. And they say very clearly, you have to check everything. Uh, they also go into the University of Virginia uh, case that was reported by a Rolling Stone reporter without checking and turned out not to be true and cost Rolling Stone $4.5 million. So they say you have to check everything, and they did. And they go into the process of checking everything because they knew that if they didn't do that, they were going to be shot to pieces. Uh, this person had a lot of money and would do everything possible to make them look as if they were wrong. There was that one. There was the woman who tried to 
make the Washington Post look like an idiot um, by falsely reporting, and they, they tracked that down. Um, so that book, she said, Ronan Farrow's book called Catch and Kill, about the forces deployed against him to keep him from reporting, and one in Canada called Had It Coming by Robin Doolittle. And they're all pretty clear that false accusations of sexual uh, abuse and rape are very bad for um, the women's movement and for women's rights because it makes it look as if they're all like that. Uh, so these cases are rare, but they are. But it. But it's. It's. It's untrue to say that they don't occur, and it is true to say that they're bad for the real ones. But let us just say in general that whenever a thing is valuable or seen to have value of any kind, whether it be financial or or social, um, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be somebody imitating it for reasons of their own. And you can take that right back to Greek coins and Greek statues, which were faked <laughs> in some profusion. <laughs> were you... Faked paintings. Yes. Faked money. Um, faked jewelry. Lots of cases of those. So people are people. Uh, somebody's going to try it on, especially if they're given carte blanche. When you wrote that column, and we're not discussing the actual case, when you wrote that column, were you feeling very wounded or... I don't feel wounded. No, never wounded feel, is you never not feel me. wounded. <laughs> <laughs> I feel curious. Yes. Yeah, I feel very curious. What is motivating people to so assiduously attack the idea of a university that has, been be- has behaved badly and has lost um, the arbitration case? Uh, what is motivating them to attack the idea of an investigation into the university's practices? And in general, one can say people investigating sexual assault cases should not be from within the institution. (laughs) There should be an external investigator, a third-person professional investigator, uh, because the temptation to make things come out right for your own institution is just too strong. So I support not only Equality Now, which works on laws for girls and women, but something called After Me Too. Um, And that is what they advocate. So third-party professional investigations, um, and uh, you can't depend on places such as universities to... um, be impartial. Why should why should they be different from other people? Mm. Well, you'd like to think they would be better at critical thinking and that sort of thing. But. Well, it's like saying the church should investigate. <laughs> you know where that <laughs> yes, went. I know where you're going. You with know that, where that went. Indeed, we do. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, we do. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. You had a very interesting upbringing, Margaret, in the sense that your father was, you were were almost at one with nature. Well, Uh, I was almost at one with caterpillars. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you actually were were sort of into the environmental space long before anybody... Well, that's just the way the biologists think. 
So, you know, my parents were not alone. They, they were early conservationists, but um, any, anybody who, who is a biologist knows that um, living organisms are dependent on their ecosystems. That just happens to be true. Our ecosystem is Tesco, but never mind about that. You worry what? Our ecosystem is, is the supermarket. Yeah. Uh, but, but things in the supermarket, I hate to break this to you, uh, come from somewhere else. The supermarket does not generate them by itself. But you were, the point is you were writing about this long ago. Um, it's true. Yes, uh, about transgenic um, pigs and laboratory They've manufactured meat now. and that sort yes. of thing. That's now with us. Yes, it is now with us. So you did see this coming. And I suppose in a sense, Margaret, looking at your world, I know the Testaments has a, has a great note of hope in it because you believe that all totalitarian systems Yeah, and that is a belief. It's, it's not a knowledge. Yes. So being, a, being very strict on these matters, you, you have to make a distinction between what is a belief or an opinion mm. and what is actually known. So, so far they have collapsed. But there is no law that says <laughs> that they will always collapse. And what's your sense about what's going on in the world? I mean, my sense is is, is all these strong men have have strong men come to like the other strong men yes. because then they can just disregard the populace and make deals with each other. Um, so so it was with Hitler, Mussolini, and um, what's his name, Stalin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh no, I forgot that. Um, but but you know, Stalin, I have to say, was very foolish in in this regard because he'd seen Hitler break his word time and time again, but he somehow magically believed that Hitler would keep his word to him, Stalin, which is a pretty narcissistic thing to think. Um, yeah. So they like other strong men because they think they, they they like the idea of being able to sit at a dinner table and just arrange the world. So Trump, I heard him referring to um, the Turkish president as a strong man in the most admiring terms only a few days ago. This is, I suppose, what we see is Gilead almost foaming I think before what our we eyes. say is my deck is bigger than yours. We do. Which is, is Gilead, if you're given the power. Absolutely. And he is supported by the evangelicals, Margaret, which fascinates well, me. Well, let me explain that to you. Yes. Um, so what do they think? They don't think he's a virtuous person at all. They don't even think he's a religious person. And they're right in that view because he's not, <laughs> nor is he virtuous. They see him as a kind of Nebuchadnezzar. So God's instrument... Although, although not among the chosen. So they're quite happy to, to, to know in their heart of hearts that he will fry in, in the inferno. Oh, they don't really care about that, but they feel that he's their tool. He is doing their will. That's why they support him. Okay, this isn't very hopeful so far. Yes, but think of the pushback that's happening. That's the hopeful part. And who do you, who, when you look at the pushback, are you looking at AOC? Who are you looking at? Are you looking no, at Kamala no, Harris? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the full spectrum, and it doesn't have to be a, a politician. So I'm looking at the, the groups that are pushing back. I'm looking at, for instance, Penn USA. It's been very strong. I'm looking at civil liberties. Um, I'm looking at all of the women's organizations who have been pushing back against these kinds of laws. I'm looking at various uh, federal court judges. 
one of whom just overturned the Alabama proposed law. Uh, I mean, America is not, it's not full of um, angelic people, but it's not full of total idiots either. No, that Alabama pr- proposed law was to do with further... That was no abortion under yes. any circs. Yes. Um, so, been there, done that. We remember when that was the case. And uh, we also remember Charchescu and his forced childbirth policies. Uh, so here's a little thought to throw into uh, the general mix. States do claim authority uh, to requisition usually men's, although now that they've opened the army up to women, women too, to requisition them in time of war, and that's called the draft. If you are drafted, if the, if the state says, we need your body, um, you get your clothing, your food, your lodging, and your med- medical expenses and a salary. Um, forced childbirth and forced childbirth is requisitioning women's bodies for state purposes. So they ought to pay. If this is what they really want to do, they ought to pay for all of those things. And if they really cared about babies, they would pay because the health of the mother the uh, medical care, the food, the lodging, the removal of financial stress, uh, and then infant support afterwards for really quite a few years because mm. babies are expensive. Yes, yes. they take so up a lot of time. If they, if <laughs> what they really want is all these babies. They ought to pay for them. Otherwise, they're just going to get a lot of sickly dead babies. Is it, does, it all, does it, does it all come hand, back to if sex? It, if, it's all, if it's all about punishing women, yes. then they'll keep doing exactly what they're doing. So it, it comes back to sex and, 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 the, and to, the, the I think apple it goes and, back and, to mummy. I think it goes back to mummy. My mummy loved me or my mummy hated me, one or the other. Uh, and therefore, if you're going to be a mummy, you must be punished because um, you're not my mummy and you're doing it wrong or you are my mummy and you did it wrong. Really? Don't you think? I hadn't thought of it like that before. Well, put your head around it. Why do mummies get punished? And they do get punished a lot. Yeah, why? They shouldn't. If, if we're really that keen on mummies and babies, if we, if we really, really um, are all for them, we ought to treat them quite a lot better than they are treated. And you think it comes back to their mummies and how they treated them? We don't know. I, I think just... I think mummy, mummies are very fraught, particularly in the imaginations of little boys, because what did mummy do? She betrayed me by having sex with a daddy. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And Margaret, how do you explain women who join that tribe? Well, they think the perks are... The Aunt Lydia's. They think the perks are better on that side of the fence. Is that it? Do you I think it's know. that? Do you, you think? Know, that, do you I, think it's that cold? I, I, I am far from being able to, to wend my way through the labyrinth of conflicted emotions and motivations of every single other person on the planet. I can't do that. Um, so you can do that with characters in your books, but it's quite a lot harder when it comes to real people because you don't know them all. Yes. you don't know the how many billions of people are there on the planet right now. Quite a few. Yeah, so people have different motives for doing different, for doing the same thing. They might have quite different motives. 
Margaret, but I'm very what, curious. Yes. I think growing up in the woods had one effect, which is a lot of the time, I don't know what people are talking about. <laughs> so I think you become a novelist to try to unravel some of that. What was going on? What, why did they do that? Well, not only what that, were they but thinking? one of the images that sticks with me from, your, from your, the, the 1980s when you were gathering, you were just gathering material, but you were doing it in the form of clippings, which my oh, generation right. understands old newspaper clippings, mm. which you, I presume, were assiduously putting into files. Why are you, were you filing them, them under... A, I was putting them in a cardboard box. Just, just on, on, on... Well, I'm, I'm a bit messier than you may think, but I, I knew where they were. <laughs> and so the point about, I think, about your writing is you've never written about something that either didn't happen, wasn't about to happen, or was happening somewhere in the world. In, in speculative fiction, that's true. Yeah. Yes, but you, you didn't make something up, just it wasn't, it, there's okay. no science Point fiction about being, it. I knew people were going to say, you have a dark, twisted imagination and you're really weird. Um, and why did you make up all these bad things? And I wanted to be able to say, it wasn't me, it was human people doing it to other people. It wasn't the gerbils. They were not doing it. It was people. Uh, and this is the range of things that people can do, and there's a there's a deep end to that. Uh, there's no shortage of atrocities. Um, on the other end, we have people who do preternaturally good things that mm. you and I would probably be incapable of doing, and most of us fall in the middle range. So it's not me making it up. Mm. This has happened several times, um, there and then, or elsewhere. And all I did was relocate them to a part of the world that was priding itself on it. It could never happen here. And that would be Cambridge, Massachusetts, which, however, began as a Puritan theocracy in the 17th century, and Harvard began as a theological seminary. So, been there, done that. Folks, you've been here before. And, Margaret, are we winding our way back now towards, towards I mean, the way... Your, your extraordinary grasp of history, um, theological and otherwise, are we, are we doomed to repeat no, everything? No, 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 no. No, there is no doomed because there isn't just one future. There are multiple futures and which one actually arrives is going to depend on what we do um, now. So, yes, we have a choice. I am not a believer in predestination. Another word for doom. Yeah. <laughs> um, you probably know that interesting book called Confessions of a Justified Sinner, uh, which goes into the antinomian heresy, uh, which goes, um, God has always known everything from the beginning. This is contradicted by the actual Bible, by the way. Uh, but they believe God has known everything from the beginning, and therefore he's, already, he's always known who is going to be saved and who is going to be damned. And therefore I am amongst the saved and, and have always been amongst the saved, and therefore I can do anything I want because I'm pre-saved. That's the antinomian heresy. It's not true. I wouldn't have thought it was true, but you're telling me things now that are worrying me even more. I wasn't even aware yeah, of that particular heresy. Yeah, well, well, don't worry about it. Um, Margaret, but, but let us just say that that um, um, it's not true, and and that and that therefore you're not 
you're not doomed, right? I suppose what, 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 what is lodged in my heart and my soul and from reading your books and, and a lot of other things is that at the base of a lot of this, when things really go belly up, mm. misogyny kicks in at sure its does. most barbaric. Uh, yeah, well, kicks in and that's, that's arguable too. Um, get stronger than it Get's already stronger. is. <laughs> now, the, the, the point, that's there, Margaret. And we can, you know, we've just discussed why people sort of, you know, hate women who have sex and all the rest. But how are we to deal with that misogyny? They also hate women who don't have sex. You're <laughs> well, yes, okay, they hate women. But, but what are we to do with that? I mean, But when you get old enough, then you're granny. So you're removed from the area of having sex at all. And then you can be either saintly granny or evil old witch. You can. Or, or you, you can alternate, dear. Or you can be just completely invisible and everybody can ignore you, which is nearly as bad. Well, we're not having any of that. <laughs> You're certainly not. But in terms of misogyny, what, I just feel that is so entrenched. And for everything everybody does, it just bubbles up furiously. Well, social, every so social media has made it worse. But um, I think you just have to um, steal yourself. Um, in that instance, and, and if I were a politician, I wouldn't look at any of that. I just wouldn't look at it. Well, meaning you wouldn't... I wouldn't look at the people saying they're going to cut off your head and rape it. You just wouldn't look at it? No. It, but it can ruin your day. It can ruin your day for sure, but it can also get your head cut off. I mean, it's happened oh, to an actual well, MP in England. You know, she got shot. She, didn't she did. She get her head cut off. And stabbed. Yeah, yes. so you, you should probably have somebody else looking at it for you and identifying anything that might be a real threat. So this stuff used to happen in the form of letters. Uh, and you could tell if it was one of those letters because it would all be capital letters in, in different colors of ink with underlinings. Um, but... Social media has not invented that. It's just yeah. amplified it. And just getting back to misogyny before we finish, is there anything we can do apart, I mean, you're, you're advising their people to ignore that stuff on social media and have the stuff invested. Well, if they want to have a public life, yes. they have to insulate themselves to some extent. You think that's the price you're going to have to pay now? What? Is that the price women in oh. particular have to pay now? Is, is being, why, why are you saying now? Well, because the the talk of but rape it's always I happened. It's oh, there's there have always been these kinds of 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 um, pushbacks. It just seems it's to just be more. It seem, yeah, well, it's, it people, is more amplified, but yeah. it also does feel as though it's got more more physical power now. Mm, Am I imagining that? I don't know. Um, I'm not the person to ask. I think mm. a sociologist would be the person mm. to ask mm. whether it's quotes more now or was it whether it was quotes more then um margaret looking at your own life and how it's panned out and you appear to have had a charmed life you are married to a, a wonderful man by the sound of it for 50 years you have a, i think you have your three children yes all all in three and three grandchildren all in and from a, from a, from a, from a, from a, I, one of the things that, that I was kind of charmed by when you were talking about your husband in the past was you said, he didn't get in my way. We met at a point when you were an established That's absolutely writer. true, yes. Um, so that you weren't expected to fold the socks or Not, make, well, the, you know, make I didn't, the lasagna I did of an fold, evening. Okay, so my theory about socks is this. <laughs> socks on the floor. Men don't see them. No. No, they just... They don't notice them because, because if you're a hunter, you only see things that move, and the socks are not moving. Whereas if you're a gatherer, 
you see things that aren't moving, such as mushrooms. So, <laughs> so it's not that they put the socks there on purpose to annoy you. They just don't see them. They blend into the background like mushrooms. And uh, if they do start moving, then you're really in trouble <laughs> with the socks. <laughs> so, you know, we, we divided things according to who was good at what, and I was good at spotting the socks on the floor, and he was an excellent cook. Was he? He was a very good cook. Right, so you weren't going around red-faced, giving out about his inability to pick up socks. No. But he was meanwhile off cooking lovely dishes. Yeah, and no, socks are quite minor <laughs> in the scheme of things. But you, you don't want them, you know, accumulating plant life on the floor. No, so you just picked them up. You were Absolutely. sort of pragmatic about yeah, it. Yeah, they yes. go into the... Yeah. <laughs> they go into the laundry. And Margaret, the socks go we, into the laundry. Into the habit. laundry, yes. And then they go into the laundry. So I, I did the laundry because I didn't want any more white things that turned pink. Oh, yes. <laughs> Remember yes. those? Yeah. I certainly do. I do it so all the time So if you want myself. control of, of what the laundry comes out like uh, and you're picky about it, then you should do it yourself. That, that sounds fair enough to me. And in terms, Margaret, we, you know you're regarded now as, 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 as the wise woman. Uh, which oh is, yeah, such a mistake. I know it's a terrible <laughs> label to have yes. to sort of nobody live says, by day nobody after says day. says that to you when you're 20. You're so wise. They say things like, you're so perky. Yes. Or you're so stupid. But they don't say, you're so but wise. But we think you know everything, and I suspect you do. I actually. don't, dear. There's I lots think you of do. Things. No, I don't. I've just admitted that I don't, most of the time, I don't know what people are talking about. So mm. I do ask questions about what they're talking about. Yesterday I found out what the names of the Irish political parties actually mean. Really? I got them translated for me. And what did you think when you found out? I thought they were pretty hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least in our native language we have I that. Know, yes, I know, they're lovely. Well, sweet, you know, it? certain languages can do things and get away with it that other languages can't. Yes. I'm a great reader of French wine labels and things they put on the artisanal salt. As the sun rose over the ocean and the dew kissed every little grain of salt, the old salt gatherer was out hand-picking every crystal of salt just for you. I then went to the place where they did that. It was a front-end loader. <laughs> well, can well, you I, can say that in French. You could never get away with it in English. Can I recommend to you a recent map of Europe that went on Twitter, I think it was, where each country was represented by the first word of their national anthem? Yeah. It was, ours was soldiers. Oh. Yes, because yeah. soldiers are we is the first line. Of ours is oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, that's an yeah, interesting that's exercise. very inclusive. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Canada. Mark, can I go back to, to, to you being the oh, wise woman and, and how you have lived? Oh, Canada. And how you have oh, lived Canada. your life. <laughs> I mean, have you, when you were growing up as this wise woman and parenting, was that... Just a, a minute now. Yes. <laughs> I but, wasn't wise. At, you, you can't be wise when you're 50. It's not an adjective that's used. So I'm now not only wise, I'm spry. Spry, spry and wise. Yeah, but I'm also at the age at which when I climb up on the seat of the airplane to put my bag in the overhead, because I'm also short, people rush to my assistance because they're afraid I'm going to kill myself. I was going to say it's because you're Margaret Atwood. No, they think this, <laughs> this old short person who is nonetheless spry is going to topple over onto her head. That's what they think.
No, you don't. You don't look at all like that. Oh yes, there, I do. When I'm nothing so remotely frail about you. <laughs> let me tell you. But just can we go back to how parenting was for you as a writer, and whether whether there are lessons from all your reading, all your upbringing, your extraordinary upbringing? Did you bring some of that to the rearing of your children? Oh, without a doubt. Um, so lots of um, lots of free time for them to do their play thing by themselves or with other kids. Um, they were not saturated with lessons. Uh, they didn't have um, heavy schedules, and and uh, science is now backing me up. Apparently this is uh, preferable than trying to stuff mm. everything into your child at too young an age. Mm. And is that the lesson, to give uh, them time to dream and to... Well, that would be one of them. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, what do I know? Uh, I think everybody's parenting experience is different because every child is different. And mm. um, we, my mother had three children and the two uh, older ones were quite different from the third. Uh, and I had quite a lot of parenting experience with her because I was in, of an age to um, to be gifted with that. <laughs> Indeed, were you? <laughs> I, knit, I knit the layout. My mother wasn't very interested in knitting, but I was. Really? Yes. What age were you then? Eleven. But I was a very assiduous knitter. Goodness. And is that when you were, were you very good at school? Were you, were you was a keen at, student? I wasn't a keen student, but I was good at school. So how do we explain that? Because we, were you we, diligent or just naturally bright? No, I was, I was superficial and rapid. <laughs> now, you see, I don't believe that for a moment. I don't yes, think you're answering well, the questions at no, all, no, no, honestly, no, no, no. now. I'm, this yes. is totally honest, because growing up in the woods, we had workbooks, and the faster you could get through your workbook, the sooner you could go outside. So I became very superficial and rapid. Right. And did you did, uh, did you do things in the normal way ever? I think I saw someone who said you were, never, the you were never the is. usual anything, I think you said. Because I didn't know what the normal way was. And when I did encounter it, I thought it was quite peculiar. <laughs> do you remember what you found pe- peculiar? Do you remember what? Wall-to-wall carpeting. Really? Um, frilly dresses. Oh, yes. The girls... Girls' ways of arranging status. <laughs> right. All of that. It's quite weird. Yes. Uh, then the idea that, um, yeah, well, there were a lot of things that were odd. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could I could do them. I was my high school's entry in the Consumers Gas Miss Homemakers contest. Were you? Along with my partner, Sally, we had to do things involving gas. We had to uh, cook a gas dinner with... Um, it was the meatloaf, the baked potato, and the frozen peas. We had to iron a shirt with a gas iron. I think those have probably been banned. <laughs> Can you imagine the flame coming out of the iron? And it was um, a shirt. Was yeah, yeah. but I can. I'm a I'm a dab hand at shirts. Are you? Oh yes. Uh, buttonholes. You want them set in? I can do that. Fix your plumbing. No problem. Um, what were you asking? You the could fix the plumbing. Way? Yes, well, of course, and if you grow up in the woods, you have to fix things, and you're, you're a great saver of pieces of wire. There's nothing that comes in handier than a bendable piece of wire in an emergency. 
Right. Different so Mar- sizes of screws. Very and, and, and are all your children now handy. domestic gods and goddesses and plumbers and all the rest? Is that is that how you, you've turned well, them I, out? I think these are, you know, different. No, I didn't turn them out. No, <laughs> they turned themselves out. So one of them is very good at Mr. Fix-It. When we lived on a farm for 10 years, he used to take things apart. He would take uh, the clock apart. He would take the tractor apart and then put it back together. So he's very good at saying, this is why this isn't working. That's excellent. Um, so our daughter, who once upon a time was not interested in laundry at all, despite the signs I would put up on the machine, um, has become really very um, efficient at all of these things. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and are they of all course, living- I can tell you that it's, it's, it's amazing that any of us are alive. Yes. Because our mothers did everything wrong, and so did we. Yes. But they've got it figured out now, and she she did all of the little ice cubes with the uh, ice cube trays with the you're nodding, <laughs> getting some nods with the with the pureed organic uh, toxin free uh, vegetables in them and all of that. So I was a bad opener of baby food jars and <laughs> all sorts of wrong things I did. But the thing frowned is, upon. You have you have three successful grown-up children, by the sounds of it, who know how to open a can if they have to. Oh, more than open a can. What are you saying? (laughs) Was there huge pressure on them, Margaret, to be as successful as writers or as artists or whatever they chose to do? Yeah, but they didn't choose to do that. Did they not? Uh, Well, I wouldn't if I were them either. Yes. Yes. Um, anyway, they don't like particularly having themselves analysed in this way on, no, no, on radio. No, no, I'm quite right too. Um, last question. In terms of where we're all going now and you look around you at the earth, is your, is your, is your, your, is your greatest sense one of hope or is it of, oh my goodness, there are a number of exit doors the earth can take right now in terms of, of, of the environment? Let us say it is interesting times. So I know that we've looked at the end of the world before. So in the year 1,000, people sold all their possessions and went up on mountains waiting, to, waiting for the end, and then it didn't happen. Um, so we, we have seen end-of-the-world um, moments in people's minds before. They thought that during the Great Mortality, otherwise known as the Black Death, when half of the population of Europe um, died. Um, so, so we have seen crises for the human race. Uh, it almost got wiped out during one of the ice ages, but it managed to survive along the bottom of Africa. We've been through bottlenecks before. Will this be it for us? If we allow the oceans to acidify and warm to the extent that the marine algaes that make uh, 60 to 80 percent of the oxygen we breathe, if they are extinguished, we're going to have a big oxygen shortage. And first we'll get quite stupid, as one does if one goes up to the top of Mount Everest without an oxygen tank, and then we'll have a lot of traffic accidents, and we won't be able to fix the digital systems that run everything right now. Um, So I'm afraid it will be very sad for us, including the people who have decided to live in silos, because they're very rich. Um, they are now discussing what will happen when money ceases to have a value. How will we ensure the loyalty of our 
of all the people who fix our plumbing and make our oxygen supply work? And the answer is you will not be able to insure it because they will be more interested in your the contents of your freezer than they will be in (laughs) your money because you won't be able to buy anything with money anymore. But this sounds quite gloomy. To um, to see all these scenarios and acted out, you need to turn to n- no further than to the sci-fi writers who have been there for some time now already. Uh, so, so am I hopeful? Of course, because what's the point otherwise? Uh, getting a, getting up in the morning is quite difficult if you aren't. Uh, we do know how to um, reverse these trends. Uh, people of a lot of smart people are thinking about it very hard. We were just told that if we put up wind farms on the continental shelves, we can supply more than enough electricity for everything we're already doing. Um, we are looking at a moment of of um, transition from fossil fuels, which allowed us to have a lot of cheap plastic. Um, and a lot of cheap everything and produce a consumer society, we're segueing into a culture of renewables which will um, foster a culture of stewardship. You can already see that happening. So yes, I'm hopeful. For more hopefulness, turn to Project Drawdown uh, on the Internet, which will tell you lots more of these things. ProjectDrawdown.org. Yes, Project Drawdown. And for hopefulness in the women's area, equalitynow.org. Lots of hopefulness. I thought of writing a a blog called The Blog of Hope, in which I put all these hopeful things, and then I will just need to put give people one URL instead of two, and they can go on and see all of the hopeful things. Is this what you've put into the, 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 the future project? No. Oh, I can't tell you what I put in that into that. It's verboten, forbidden. Um, but it is future, not Norway, uh, futurelibrary.no, which is this wonderful project uh, thought up by the Scottish artist Katie Patterson. And it's a room in the uh, new library in Oslo called the Future Library of Norway. And the project is, she was thinking of, of tree rings counting time, she was thinking of leaves of trees being the same word as leaves of books. She was thinking of words coming out through the leaves. She um, got them to plant a forest north of Oslo that will grow for a hundred years. And in each year of that hundred years, a different author from around the world will submit a secret manuscript made of words. So it can be anything made of words. You can't just bung your photo album in there. Um, so one word, a poem, an essay, a novel, a short story, a letter, a play, a scenario, a screenplay, anything made of words. And um, if the languages are quite small languages, they're going to put a dictionary in there too in case it goes extinct. So uh, one writer per year, and in the hundredth year, Prince Charming will fight his way through the rope. No, wrong story. Um, <laughs> in the hundredth year, um, they will open all of the boxes in the future library of Norway, which will be there. You will just be able to see the author's name and the name of the manuscript. They will open all of the boxes, and enough paper will be made from the trees that will have grown 
to print the anthology of the future Library of Norway. Think of what a hopeful project that is. It assumes there will be people. It assumes there will be a Norway. It assumes the library will survive. It assumes people will be able to read. It assumes they will be interested in reading. And all will come to pass as foreseen. So that project went around the world because it was so hopeful. And I was indeed the first writer to submit one. I was, yeah. I think only a certain kind of writer would would agree to do it. (laughs) Because some would say, well, you you must be out of your mind. I'm not going to write something I can't publish now. And I had to promise not to tell anybody what was in the box. So I had an idea that I would arrive in Norway and they would say, what's in that box? And I would say, I'm not allowed to tell you. And then I would have to be carted away by the police. Um, But that didn't happen. And we walked into the forest and we had a a ceremony amongst the trees and it was very lovely. The chief forester spoke, the chief librarian spoke, the mayor of Oslo, Katie Patterson, me, and I handed over my box decorated with a nice ribbon and I have not seen it since. That is actually one of the most beautiful, hopeful scenarios. Isn't it? I've heard. That is it come to life. Yes, and now they have had, I think they're on their sixth writer, uh, and um, and uh, people from, one of them's from Iceland, one of them's um, from Turkey, um, so they are going around the world. Margaret Atwood, you've cheered us up enormously. Well, I'm happy about <laughs> that. So much. Yes, I just tipped. All the way from Gilead, yeah, you've know, been no, tremendously I, cheered. I tipped toe through the world, sprinkling little... Very yes. dusts of hope wherever I go. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but you've definitely done so. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been okay. a real pleasure. That's it for this episode of the Women's Podcast. Thanks very much to Margaret Atwood. I hope we'll have her back in again. I think that's her third time on the Women's Podcast, so we're not doing too badly. Thanks to Cathy Sheridan for that great interview as well. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. I'll talk to you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.